Fantastic. Yes, kids, stay around the front. We're going to have lots of fun together as we read the Bible. Um, As Ben said, we've been looking at these three parables. So if you've got a Bible on you, turn to Luke chapter 15. We're going to read from 11 onwards. And then we're going to act out the story together. So Luke 15 verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate And be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Fantastic. So Jesus has told three parables in response to what we read in verses 1 and 2. In verses 1 and 2, there's a group of people sat around listening to Jesus who had a bit of a reputation for not being good people. They were tax collectors and sinners. They were wrapped up in all sorts of life that is completely incompatible with worshipping the God of the Bible. And then there's some other people who are looking on at this, who are saying, and they're mumbling, verse 2, this man, Jesus, welcomes sinners and eats with them. 
And so Jesus tells these three parables and we reach the final one today, the parable of the two sons. And what we're going to see is this, that knowing you're lost is part of being found. Knowing you're lost is part of being found. So let's act out this amazing story that is in three acts. Acts one, two, and three. And we're going to act them out. Now, kids, I'm going to need some help with this. I've spoken to a few of you before the service. But if you're willing to come and help me act out the story, do you want to come to the front? Just be aware, parents, we are live streaming in case that informs anything. But come forwards. Yes, Jemima, fantastic. Amara, brilliant. Oh, yes, we've got lots of people. Brilliant. So in Act 1, we meet, the, uh, we meet the three characters. Fantastic. Now, Amara, we've practised a line beforehand for this. So Amara's going to be the younger son who's going to wear the party wig. Are you ready? You're going to put it on, Amara. Oh, look at that. Fantastic. Round of applause for Amara. Now, who wants to be the father? Does any, any volunteers... Put your hand up if you want to be the father and wear the grey wig. Yes, Joshua, fantastic. Are you ready? Are you going to put this on? Do you want a hand or can you do it? Do you want a hand? You ready? There we go. Oh, Oh, there we go. Turn around, face the camera. Everyone can see. Fantastic. Joshua is going to be the father. And who is going to be the oldest son holding the spade? Have we got a volunteer? No, I don't know your name. Volker, do you want to come to me and put this wig on and be the older son holding the spade? Yeah? No, okay. Do you want to wear this wig? Yeah, all right. Can I put it on you? Is that all right? There we go. They didn't teach you this at Vicar School, put it that way. Fantastic. Do you want to turn around so everyone see how much you love? Look at that. Fantastic. I think this is an 80s mullet from the from the packet okay brilliant so we've got our three characters and we're all going to start off on this side of the red country border are you ready so we're all going to stand on this side all over here with me all over here fantastic fantastic older son do you want to come over here with me okay well i'll keep going with this um so we meet the father and we meet the younger son and we meet the older son okay and the story starts like this The younger son shouts to the father, give me what is mine. We read he wants his inheritance. Let the reader understand before the time is right for that. It is a huge insult. Now, Amara, we practiced a line. So you're going to come over and stand here with me. And can you point to the father and shout the line that we told that we practiced beforehand? Give me my money. Fantastic. She shouts... Give me my money. And then the younger son runs over, over this side of the stage, Amara, to a foreign land. Come with me. We're going to run off to a foreign land over here. There we go. Fantastic. Where there's lots of sweets and lots of wild partying. (laughs) And that is where Act One closes. We've got fantastic round of applause. Okay, and now Ben's going to come round and sell you a £43 ice cream and a bottle of Luke's. No, I'm joking. Um, (laughs) So 
So that's the end of Act 1. The son's having an amazing time partying. The father's all here by himself with the older son. Act 2, and the curtain opens, and the, old, the younger son is completely miserable. Amara, can you pull a sad face for me? Oh. Now, this younger son thought he was having the time of his life. And it has all gone wrong. He's spent all that he has got and he has found himself in a terrible position that no young Jewish boy could ever imagine himself in. He has ended up feeding pigs. These particular animals which were banned in Jewish law. This is a symbol of everything going wrong. He has slipped to the lowest moral depths that it was imaginable that someone would slip to Amara. I know he's not Plumpy, but Plumpy's Amara's pig toy. Um, But he'll have to do. However, the younger son, realising the mess that he is in, he says, look, my father's servants have got a better life than me. I'm going to return to my father. So now this is going to be carefully choreographed. Are you ready? Amara, I want you to walk slowly towards me. Slowly, slowly. But while the son was far off, the father, Joshua, this is your big moment, ran to him and gave him a hug. Can you run to Amara and give her a big hug for me? That's it, run. Yeah, big hug. Fantastic. And he put the best robe around him. Now, this is um, um, my wife Beth's robe from when she was at college and they all had to own a robe. Um, as you can see, it's actually quite short as I was teasing Beth. <laughs> when she graduated, everyone thought she was getting a different degree than she was actually getting because they had a, the wrong size robe. Anyway, he puts the best robe on him, the sign of being welcomed home. And then they throw the most amazing party. They throw the most amazing celebration. You see, the younger son went away to party but came home to celebration because he's in right relationship with the father. And act two closes like that. Big round of applause. However, however, there is a shadowy figure at the side of the stage. Can you come forwards with me? And the older son is just stood in the wings and the audience can see him because there is an act three after your 43 pound ice cream. (laughs) Act three comes up and this older son is walking towards the house and he is objecting strongly about the fact that there is a party for his younger son. Because all this time, he's been obeying all the rules. He has done nothing that the younger son has done. He never just wanted the father's money. He never just wanted to have a party. He was never just in it for the land that he could get. Or was he? Because what we find out is that all along, the older son's heart has been hard towards the father. On the best day of his father's life, the older son despises his happiness. What we learn in this parable is this, that all along we think that it is the younger son who is lost. And he is. And we're going to look at that in a moment. But actually they're both lost. 
Both sons are lost. The only difference between the two is the younger one realises he is lost and then he's found. And there's a big question mark as Act 3 closes as to what happens with the older son. So let's give our kids an amazing round of applause. You guys are fantastic. Now, on the piano, there is a big welcome home banner for the younger son who's welcomed home. And there's um, pens and stickers and stamps. Kids, could you go and decorate that amazing banner that James is holding up? And if you've got your Bibles, keep them open in Luke 15 as we unpack this a little bit further. So what do we learn from Acts 1 and 2? What is the big idea that we are going to learn from Acts 1 and 2? Well, it's this, that God is merciful and forgiving. You see, all along we've been talking about the story of the shepherds, uh, of, the, of the sheep being lost, of the coins being lost, of the son being lost. But the hero of this story, the hero of the Christian story, is never the person who's lost. It's the person that finds them. And Jesus tells this story to correct some incorrect assumptions about God. Dane Ortland, a theologian in the States who wrote a fantastic book called um, Gentle and Lowly that Beth and Gary actually gave me for my birthday. He makes this point that part of the purpose of scripture is to challenge our incorrect assumptions about God because they are often at the roots of all of our misunderstandings and misrelating to him. You know, sometimes we think, oh, well, This is one way we can misunderstand our relationship with God. We think, oh, God doesn't really mind what I do. He loves me, so he just wants me to be happy. So I can kind of do what I like. If it makes me happy, then God would be happy for me because he just loves me and he just wants me to be happy. Church, that is not true. In the Bible, we see that God is radically more interested in us than just wanting us to be happy for a few moments of our life. He just doesn't want just, just, he doesn't just want us to be happy in our life. He wants us to be satisfied in life. He wants us to rejoice in him. He wants us to live a life that transforms this world into what he would have it be. He wants us to live a life of meaning and purpose, not just one-off temporary happiness. That's one one um, misunderstanding of who God is. But another misunderstanding of who God is that Jesus is speaking to in this parable is that we tend to think of God at times as unmerciful and unloving. We tend to get trapped into a way of thinking where, where our approach to God is essentially, this is going to be painful, but I'm going to go along anyway. I, I'm going to have to pray because I should But God doesn't really like me, he doesn't really love me, he doesn't really cherish me, but he's God, I'm going to have to put up with it. Jesus tells this parable as a corrective to that. Look at the Father in Acts 1 and 2. Every single one of his actions is characterised by mercy and compassion and grace and forgiveness. From the moment that he gives his son his money to the moment that he's waiting for him, from the moment that he runs to him and clothes him in a robe, the son is saying, just treat me like a servant. And the father is saying, you are my son. Church, so many of us relate to God with a complete misunderstanding of who he is. And we need God's word, the Bible, to teach us who he is. We need Jesus Christ to tell us about the eternal relationship with the Father that he's enjoyed through all eternity. 
Now, just before we move on to Act 3, let's be clear here. The father does not struggle to call sin for what it is. He is not a God who's just kind of like, ah, oh, well, you know, it's just a bit of a party. All teenagers go through it. How does he describe the state of his son? A couple of our teenagers in church are grinning at me right now. Um, how does he describe the state of the son in verses 26 and verse 32? Look at it for me. What does he say? That's why I found out I got the first numbers wrong. <laughs> he says... Yeah, he says, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. Church, rebellion against God is, is not a matter, a matter of going off and having fun doing our own thing. It's a matter of living in death. And conversely, being in relationship with God is a matter of, of living in the fullness of life. And this is Jesus' little, little sort of Easter egg to us, if you like, as to how this reconciliation between God and humanity is achieved. St. Paul in Ephesians will go on to say this, as for you, you were dead in your sins and transgressions, in the ways that you used to live. When you followed the ways of the world and the rule of the kingdom of air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Is there any better explanation of what was going on with the younger son than that? Is there any better explanation? Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, ran towards us. He made us alive in Christ when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Church, what good news this is this morning. If you've come to church today with an ounce of shame or guilt, as much as a a gram of condemnation, then hear this today. Yes, you were dead in your sins and transgressions, in the ways that you used to live. No one's making any bones about that. No one is failing to call a spade a spade. But God, who is rich in mercy and compassion, welcomes you home. Through Jesus Christ, he embraces you. He clothes you in righteousness and dignity. The hero of Acts 1 and 2 is not the son who realises he was lost. It's the father that welcomes him home. Let's look at Act 3 together. If in Act 1 and 2 we saw that God is merciful and forgiving, in Act 3 with the older son we learn this, that all rebellion starts in the heart. You know, this is a son who looks like he had it all together. His, his younger son is off partying, he's digging His younger son is spending loads of money. He's saving loads of money. His younger son is breaking Jewish law. He's keeping all of the Jewish law. You better believe it. The Pharisees are looking on and they're like, this is our guy. (laughs) And they were right. He was keeping all of the Jewish law. But there was rebellion in his heart against his father. And it's ultimately revealed. What do we see on the best day of his father's life. Just, just imagine this. Beth and I haven't got kids, but, but I can barely imagine what it'd be like to have a kid turn away from you like that. But then imagine the joy when they come home. 
His father is, is weeping tears of joy. He's throwing the best party he's ever thrown. And this older son says, I hate your happiness. I hate that you're this happy about that guy. All this time, he had been living in rebellion against the father too. All this time, when the younger son was the one getting the blame, the younger son was the bad guy, he was sat at home plotting how he could get more money from his father. He was sat at home despising his father. But on the outside, it looked fine. All rebellion starts in the heart. Sometimes it's displayed in our actions, but if it's in the heart, then it's taken root. And that is why the Pharisees were so bothered about who Jesus was speaking to. Because they thought that if their external actions were okay, then it must mean that they could do whatever they were like in their heart. They were completely wrong. And so they were condemnatory towards those whose actions didn't match up with their ethical standard. Dane Ortland again, um, reflecting on, on this, well, a similar passage in, in Matthew, he says this, that Jesus is a friend to sinners is only contemptible to those who do not feel themselves to be in that category. That Jesus is a friend to sinners is only contemptible to those who do not feel themselves to be in that category. The, The gospel litmus test, whether we've really understood the meaning of the life of Jesus Christ is this. Do you understand that no matter how good your actions are, the redemption of your life required the death of Jesus as much as the worst person that you can imagine. Whatever actions you think are beyond the pale, whatever actions just make your stomach churn and, and, and revolt you, my redemption, your redemption required the death of Jesus as much as the, the redemption of that person. And the Pharisees, they don't get that. They can't accept that they too are in rebellion. They can't accept that they too need Jesus. I wonder, where are you at today? Where are you at? Are you, are you like the younger son? You've, you've realised coming here today that, that you are not in right relationship with the father and quite frankly, anyone could see it from the way that you live. Or have you come here today and no one would know from the way that you live that you aren't in right relationship with God? But deep down, you despise his happiness. You don't want to see other people welcomed home. There's some hard questions from us today, for us today. But the core is this. That whatever our rebellion, God is compassionate. Whatever our failings, God is faithful. Whatever our imperfections, God is perfect. And so when we come before him, when we say, Lord, something's not right in my life, be it the biggest thing or the smallest thing, God loves to forgive us. Church, that's why we do confession in church, because we're not yet perfect. God sees us with the righteousness of Christ, but we still sin. And so then we confess those sins with God and he restores our relationship with him. In the coming years, If we're doing ministry right at St. Thomas's, we will welcome all sorts of people into church who might not match up to our ethical standard. 
We will welcome all sorts of people into church who do not live in a lifestyle that we read about in the Bible. And we're going to welcome them in. You know why? Because we don't either. Because they are people just like us. We all need the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. And you know what we will always declare? It's this, welcome home. And we'll put it on a banner that the kids are gloriously decorating. Now, does anyone mind bringing that banner up to the front? Can we have everyone who's worked on decorating this amazing banner to bring it up to the front as we wrap up and the bands are ready to go? This will always be our message. Welcome home. Wherever you're at, welcome home. Whatever you've done, welcome home. Whether you can see what's wrong in your life or not, welcome home. Whether you know for a fact that you need forgiveness or whether you're not really sure at all, welcome home. Come and meet the Father. Come and meet Jesus. Come and proclaim, Jesus is Lord. You are welcome home. Let's get this banner out to the front. Let's applaud. Fantastic. And Mari, you're going to come and stand on this side. That's it. And swing it round. Round of applause. Welcome home. Isn't this amazing? Now, where are you at today? Do you need to hear welcome home? Do you need to hear today that God is calling you to come to him? He's saying welcome home. Whether that is for the thousandth time or whether that's for the very first time. God is calling you into relationship with himself. So let's do a huge round of applause for our amazing children and that fantastic decorating. Let's go off down there. Let's stand up together because we're going to worship. Fantastic. Brilliant work. Do you want to lead the way as we go round? Ben's going to come and uh, lead response with me. And the first thing we're going to do today is, is we're going to pray a confession. These are some simple words that we, that we hear the younger son actually say at one point in the story. Now, wherever you're at, we all need to say this to God. But it may be that today... Saying this for you is a particular thing that you're laying down that you know has been a stronghold for a while. It may be a particular moment of you saying to God, I want to become a Christian today. I want to trust in Jesus Christ that I'd be brought from death to life. So the words are going to appear on screen. And just before we say them, I invite you to pray, come Holy Spirit, show me what I'm called to turn away from today. Show me what is dead that needs to be brought to life. Let's say these words. Lord God, we have sinned against you. We have done evil in your sight. We are sorry and repent. Have mercy on us according to your love. Wash away our wrongdoing and cleanse us from our sin. Renew a right spirit within us and restore us to the joy of your salvation. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. And the final thing that we're going to pray for before we worship is this. If you recognise that you want to celebrate better when you see people come home, 
then I'd love you to stick your hand in the air today. If you want to say, Lord, I want to be all out partying. I want to be the first servant celebrating when one of your children comes home. Stick your hand in the air. If you want to be better at it, whether you, uh, you know, whether you already love celebrating or not, maybe you know today that this, this is something that God's breaking your heart for. Okay. Lord God, pour out your spirit on us. Make us people who celebrate the return of those who are lost. Make us to be people who love to see your kingdom come. Make us to be people who love to see people come back into relationship with yourself. And as we start to worship, I want you to speak out prayers for those who you know are lost at the moment and declare in Jesus' name that we long to see them come back home. Let's worship together.